0: You really can sell to anyone, from anywhere.
1: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. /free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors.
2: Welcome to Belly
0: of Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now, for your host...
3: Dan Mater. Hello, MD Nation, and welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We got a great episode in store. For you guys today. We got the team profiles, Giants, Dolphins, Falcons, and Texans that we're gonna be talking about. And but unlike other shows, we did a little bit of this last week where I kind of previewed our projections, the rankings that are gonna be coming out really soon on the Belly Up Fantasy Sports website. That's www.bellyupfantasysports.com. And I want to get into more of that today. I want to to preview more of that. I want to get the discussion going on on Twitter. I want to be engaging you guys a little bit more. So we only have two guests in today's podcast episode. We're going to have Mr. Alan Stirk of SB Nation coming on to talk about the Falcons. And then a little bit later after that, we're going to have Miss Stephanie Stradley of the Houston Chronicle, talking about the Texans. So we have a lot of great interviews for you coming up in today's episode as well. But we're going to talk about the Giants and the Dolphins and kind of use our projections and rankings to give you an idea of where I'm at on some of their players. And you'll get into we'll get into why I wanted to talk about those teams directly to you because I have some interesting takes that I think a lot of people are going to react to and I want a lot of people to be able to think about. Before we get into all that, we are going to touch some offseason notes here. Of course, we had the big signing of Cam Newton this past Sunday. So we have to talk about a little bit about that. So, but before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about MD Nation. The MD Nation Hotline. You can call that hotline 609-362-2480. You can text that hotline with any of your comments, fantasy rants, questions, whatever you want, because once we get down the team profile series, we're going to be going back to having a mailbag segment at the end of the show, which will be right there for you guys. You're going to be able to get your voice on the show, your question on the show, your rant on the show, whatever you want. And we're going to be talking about that in the mailbag segment. So make sure you take advantage of that 609-362-2480. There's other ways you can get on the show. There's other ways to contact me for your fantasy football purposes. You can contact us on Twitter at MDFF Show. It's the same username for Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow, Show, or you can email the show directly through MD's fantasy football at gmail. Dot com. That's MDS fantasy football at gmail.com. So make sure you take advantage of that. We are always 24-7 available to you guys. And we'll always get back to you and help you out in your fantasy football endeavors. So before we get into the team profiles today, I do want to talk to you guys a little bit about Cam Newton. And everyone's big question is where does Cam fall after this is all said and done? And for me, I actually wound up having him at QB12. Now, there's a few things that I want to get into Uh, When we're talking about with Cam, right? First of all, the contract situation, Patriots have nothing to lose. It was a great move by them to bring him in and to at least compete for the starting job. As it stands right now, he's not doing anything more than competing for the starting job. They did not guarantee him the start, and they're going to wait. They're going to go through training camp. This has not changed. They've been steadfast on this. This hasn't changed their stance on Jared Stidham. They're just bringing in competition. So they're trying to leave the door open, at least in the media anyway, that Jared Stenham has just as much of a chance to start, even though they brought in Cam Newton. Now, do I really believe that? Mm, not really. Uh, there's going to be a lot of not not that the contract situation makes it impossible for Cam to be a backup, because frankly, a one million dollar deal that's really only made off of incentives and in a one year contract. You could be the backup off of that. That doesn't guarantee you a starting. That doesn't guarantee you starting money. Uh, but when you bring in a guy like Cam Newton, I have a hard time believing you're really going to have this guy be on the bench. So I do believe Cam's going to be the Week One starter. After that, what comes with that? Well, Cam being healthy for a 16 game season. He's played 16 games in two years is he going to be able to stay healthy? And I'm not just talking about the ankle issue. The shoulder issue is what concerns me most of all. Not just from a re-injury standpoint, but from the standpoint of what does he have left? Now, if you were listening to the show last year during this time, a lot of people wanted to hype up Cam. Same with DJ Moore. He has more weapons. They wanted to talk about this. They wanted to bring up the point that he should still be a top-ten quarterback. And I was sitting there steadfast saying that I was not going to be drafting Cam Newton. Now, obviously, I didn't have the foresight. I'm not going to say he had the foresight. That he was only going to play two games last year because that's not what it was. But my issue with him is that I didn't think he had really anything left in that shoulder. His velocity has taken a huge step down. He's not that accurate of a quarterback. It's forced at times. Now, he's gotten a little bit better in his older age, especially when it comes to the shorter range of the field of getting a little bit more accurate in that area. But it's... His days of pushing the ball down the field are gone. You're going to be able to squeeze Cam. Even with his rushing ability, you're going to be able to squeeze Cam. The field's not going to be as wide open as it was for Cam Newton at one point during his career. Now, I love Cam, and I hope he's going to be good, and I hope maybe he has had the extra time to get healthy. I hope that this will resurrect his career, but I don't see it. I don't see it. He's lost too much velocity. He's not that accurate once you get past 12 yards. He's not. Plain and simple. Having said that, this is still the Patriots' system. This is still a good offensive coordinator in Josh McDaniels. This is still a team that adapts to their opponent from a week-to-week basis. This is still a team that knows how to utilize the talent that they have. So I don't think he's going to be bad. That's why I have him at QB12. And that's with him only playing 12 games on the season. That's right. When I do projections, when I do rankings, you have guys that have a big injury history. I'm not going to project you for 16 games. I'm not going to do it because it doesn't make any sense to do it. Twelve games, I think, is a reasonable expectation for Cam Newton to be able to make this season. I don't think sixteen is. I would make. I I wanted to put him at fourteen, but I don't know if fourteen is. After he played two games last year, and I only fourteen games a year before, I felt twelve games was probably the most that I could project him for, and that was, that was good enough to still make him QB twelve overall, just ahead of Josh Allen for me. Now of course I have Josh Allen, you know, playing 16 games. So I have him scoring more points overall than him by the end of the season, but on a per game basis, I have Cam much higher. And that because, you know, he's going to rush the ball a little bit. I have him for 20 touchdowns. I have him for nine interceptions. So he's going to have a decent ratio there. I have him just getting 4,000 yards. These are all things that should be or I'm sorry, uh, just over 3,000 yards. These are all things that should be achievable for him in a 12 game span. Rushing wise 345 yards and about four rushing touchdowns. That's that's all things that I think are very reasonable for Cam if he is the starter for New England Patriots. So he's going to have value. He's going to probably wind up being one of my sleeper quarterbacks at the end of the day because I don't think his ADP is really ever going to get that high unless his hype for being New England Patriots gets blown out of proportion. And it's too early in the process to tell exactly where Cam's going to wind up at yet. Uh, some A lot of people are just coming out now with where they want to rank Cam Newton and what that does for the rankings for everybody else. But for us in this show, we have him at QB twelve, and um, my have, my belief is that you're going to be able to get him in the team rounds. So he is going to be in that sleeper territory. You're not going to lose much, for you're not going to have much at risk. I should say, if you draft him in your fantasy football leagues, he's going to run, you know, thirty to fifty rushing yards. He's going to be have that possible to get that rushing touchdown. He's going to have Julian Edelman. He has safety blankets. He has James White. We know he likes to dump it off to the running backs. So all things are in place for him to be at least. Decent. Not going to be great. Not going to be a superstar. Not going to be an MVP caliber guy. That, you know, on the other side of things, not so much in fantasy, but on the NFL standpoint, all of a sudden people want to say, oh, the Patriots are Super Bowl contenders. They should be winning the division. Cam doesn't change that much for me. He doesn't change that much for me from Jared Stidham. It, it's it's not significant enough where I'm saying the Bills are now the second best team. It's not significant enough where I'm saying the Patriots are now a Super Bowl contending team. They're not. You're not better than the Chiefs. You're not better than the Ravens. I would go so as far as to say, as long as Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy, you're not better than the Steelers. It doesn't change a lot to me getting Cam Newton because there's so many question marks about his ankle. There's so many question marks about his shoulder. There's so many question marks about him going into a new offense, and that's something I haven't heard anybody really talk about that much yet. It's a new offensive scheme, a much more complicated offensive scheme, and we already know Cam has had trouble in his career adapting to certain offenses. That's why they had to go back, eventually go back and build an offense similar to the one that he had in Auburn for him. So I have a lot of question marks as far as that goes. The mental aspect of the game as well for Cam. There's a lot of question marks. This is not just going to be a seamless transition here. But as long as he's on the field, he's a playmaker, he'll be able to put up numbers. And that's why we have him at QB12. So that's where we stand at on here for Cam Newton. And this is a big reason why the, by the way, my projections and rankings that I thought I was going to have published this week were not able to come out. I was literally putting my finishing touches on and then Cam comes along and it changed a lot of things. For all the scoring formats, for standard for half point, full for point BPR, obviously. So I've had to go back and put some more finishing touches on. So I hope this time it will be this week. I know I keep saying one more week. And, you know, one of these, as long as I keep saying one more week, one of these weeks, it will be true. It will be before August. Oh, I'm just kidding. It should be next week. We're going to get there. Don't you worry. But that's why I want to preview what we have so far. So you can get a little bit of taste of what's going to be coming out. And what does Cam do, you know, to the rest of New England Patriots? What does he do to Sony Michel? What does he do to Julian Edelman, to Nikhil Harry? He gives a little bit of a boost, especially to the wide receivers. Not a huge boost, but I do have him. I do have Julian Edelman, somebody who I am not going to just completely stay away from now. He is somebody who I'm looking at uh, in that wide receiver uh, three territory. I have him ranked as the 32nd wide receiver overall now that Cam has joined the team. I have Nikhil Harry, I'm scrolling down here, wide receiver 50. where They were much lower than that. I had Julian Edelman in the wide receiver four territory before that. I had. Uh, Nikhil Harry almost pushing in the 60s before that so Cam does help him in that because not so much because I think Cam is definitely a big upgrade over Jared Stenham, and I, I because I don't we haven't seen Jared Stenham enough we don't know exactly what Jared Stenham is but we know what Cam is at least if he's out in the field and healthy we have a reasonable idea of what to expect and that can make it much more solidifying much more safe when projecting you have a better idea of where to put these guys so that's why with Edelman and those guys, they become more touchable. The other guy I think it helps out a little bit is James White, especially in the pass game. I had James White very low. Wasn't sure how much he was going to play. Thought this team's going to be running the football constantly. And not that this still isn't going to be a run-first football team, I truly believe that they will be, but I do think this opens up the door to be a little bit more aggressive or at least have a little bit more trust having a veteran quarterback uh, handling the football out there. So I do think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more with Cam Newton than they would have had with Jared Stidham. And that moved guys up. Sony Michel is my 32nd running back overall now. While James White, as I scroll down, it, I still have James White pretty pretty low. Uh, I'm having trouble finding him at the moment. But James James White is somebody who comes back in the conversation, especially half point, full point PPR. Remember, we're not touching him in the standard leagues. He's not gonna. He's never gonna have the that touchdown rate that he had from a few years ago. And if he never has that from standard standpoint, uh, the consistency simply is not there. The ceiling is simply just not there for him. Um, <clears throat> but with James White here, we're we, you know, still going to have him leading the way as far as being the catching down back. With the Patriots, it really just, it all comes down to what's their rotation going to be. How much is Damian Harris going to get involved? I think that's the question everybody on everybody's mind. How much is he going to get involved? And this is a team that, Thankfully, we hadn't covered yet our team profile series. We are going to get an insider in for the Patriots. And I believe that that episode is going to be coming out uh, next week. We'll get into more of that, of how things are expected to really break down as far as rotations, and that is concerned. So what we're going to do here is switch gears and get into our team profiles are really covering today, which is the Giants on the other side. And the New York Giants, so this is a big reason why this is one of the teams that I wanted to talk to you about. Didn't bother getting somebody to come in because we need to address this, uh, Daniel Jones hype, this Daniel Jones, uh, issue that I would probably call it in my own right. Look now I'm going <clears> to <throat> first, I guess I'll, what I'll do is I'll leave with this. Daniel Jones is my 23 quarterback overall for fantasy football. And I can already hear the screaming and the yelling through my headphones out there on social media that I have to be crazy because Daniel Jones had this great statistical year and yada, yada, yada. and, there's a couple of things that I want to point out while doing the Giants profile. We, had, we talked about the Giants a little bit because we had to do them in the Coaching Changes Impact Series. And that has a lot to do with what we're about to get into. First and foremost, yes, Daniel Jones had a few big games last season. But they were widely inconsistent, number one. It wasn't like he was consistently good all throughout the year. He wasn't. After the Tampa Bay game, it was about a month before he had another big game again. So we have that a question of consistency. We know that Daniel Jones does not possess the biggest skill set in the world. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He has an average to above average arm. He doesn't have, He's not the most mobile. He has average to above average mobility. He has a little bit, but not a lot. He can do a little bit of those things. He is accurate in the short range, not so accurate in the deep range. And what we go back to is that this Giants offense has to be aggressive. They have to keep guys out of the box for Saquon Barkley. Well, guess what? You brought in Jason Garrett to replace Pat Shermer. That's not going to help you in that area. And that follows me up to my next point of why I'm not big on Daniel Jones. I have seen Pat Shermer create productive quarterbacks out of crap. Case Keenum, prime example. Journeyman, backup, crappy quarterback. And all of a sudden, Pat Shermer comes in with a few weapons, and he's able to devise an offense to play within his quarterback system and to make him look infinitely better than what he was. So much to the point that he actually gets a contract from the Denver Broncos for starter money, which I was screaming to the roof of was a huge mistake. And everybody's like, well, Case Keenum has such a great year. Sometimes you guys put it together late. No. He wasn't that good. He doesn't have that great of a skill set. Neither does Daniel Jones. Now I'm not saying his skill set is as bad as Case Keenum's, but I am saying I don't believe it's that far off. Now, and Daniel Jones, I have him for thirty seven hundred yards. I have him for twenty five touchdowns for twelve interceptions. I don't have the football I don't have the fumbling issues all of a sudden dissipating overnight either. I have him for thirteen fumbles on the season. I have him a little bit rushing, two hundred and fifty yards rushing, maybe two rushing touchdowns. He's gonna have a big game here or there. But Jason Garrett is not aggressive. Jason Garrett is the most conservative guy that you could possibly put in there. And even if you want to go back to his play calling days when he was the offensive coordinator, he had much better talent. Tony Romo is infinitely a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. Dez Bryant is a better, at that time, a better wide receiver than anything the Giants have on their roster. Jason Witten is a better tight end than Evan Ingram from the sense of he was reliable to staying healthy more. I think Evan Ingram is more athletic, but... He doesn't, we can't guarantee he's going to stay on the field for 16 games. That was a better offense, better skill set, and he was still relatively conservative. And since then, since being the head coach, even when he wasn't the guy calling the plays, when it was the offensive coordinators or whoever he would turn to that season, up until Kellen Moore last year, the philosophical trend of Jason Garrett has been to be conservative. Saquon Barkley is going to be great. There's no doubts there. There's no doubt in my mind Saquon Barkley could rival Christian McCaffrey when it comes to a volume standpoint this season. And in half-point PPR leagues, which is when we talk about on the podcast, that's what we're talking about from that standpoint. We're talking from a half-point PPR standpoint when we talk about these rankings and projections. I have Barkley at number four running back overall, but we're talking about a tenth of a point per game separating... Alma Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, who I have at two and three, just ahead of Saquon Barkley. Obviously, if have Christian McCaffrey in a tier by himself in number one, as most would. But yeah, we know Saquon's going to get the ball all the time. How effective it's always going to be, who knows, because I do believe they're going to get squeezed. They're not going to spread the ball out. They're going to be very basic. They're going to be very vanilla. It's going to be very to run with a full back, eye formation, play action, passing, and guess what? if you put pressure on Daniel Jones and you can squeeze Daniel Jones, he's going to turn to Mitchell Trubisky. Plain and simple. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but tell me this. Again, if you listened to the show last year, you listened to me talk about how I was not big on Baker Mayfield. I've never, and, and I was never big on him even before his rookie season started. Going back to his college days, I wasn't big on his talent and I absolutely had disdain for the fact that he went as number one overall pick because i thought it was absolutely ridiculous his, t- his skill set does not match that and he had a tremendous rookie year and a lot of people got on me obviously because i was not a big baker fan a lot of people got on me like he just had a great year and i said yeah he did have a great year i believe in talent at the end of the day is what you are what happened in the second year pitiful what are we talking about with baker Mayfield's concerned going into this third season what we're talking about is that if he's not able to write the ship, he's not able to at least be decent. We're talking about whether or not this guy should even be the quarterback next year at all for the Cleveland Browns. You're putting a lot of stock in a guy who had some games that he went off on, not consistently throughout his rookie season, but had a few big games that he went off on. And you're putting a lot of stock in those statistics that he's going to take this big leap up in year two in a coaching change. Sound familiar? Baker Mayfield, a big rookie year, had a coaching change in a second year. And that wasn't even a total new coaching change. That was a guy who was already in the system. This is a totally new coaching change. This is Jason Garrett who has an almost opposite philosophy as far as his play calling goes to the guy who's previously there, who Daniel Jones had his big games with. If you don't think Pat Shermer going to the Denver Broncos. You know, if you don't think that bringing in Jason Garrett is going to have a big effect on Daniel Jones, and in a negative way, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention to what you're seeing on the field. You're not paying attention to what the coaches are doing and what they have done. You're not paying attention. Plain and simple. So I'm not big on Daniel Jones this season. I'm only big on Saquon Barkley, really, when it comes to the Giants. I mean, even Evan Ingram, who I do have as a pretty good tight end who I like. I only have him projected for 12 games. I think everybody would say it's a reasonable expectation can't project him for 16 games we haven't seen it. And if he only plays for 12 games, I only have him as my tight end 12 actually. Now on a game per basis, you probably have him. I would have him between uh Austin Hooper and Hayden Hurst on a per game basis. But that now would, would, now would put him at tight end 7. Just in case you guys were wondering. That would, that would put him at tight end 7. He's the only other one I'm even contemplating, though, and even in his case, his ADP is probably going to be too high for me to want to draft him because he's going to need to be taken more back in the sleeper territory. I have him right around the Jared Cook, the Tyler Higbee territory, the Rob Gronkowski territory, the Janus Smith territory. He needs to go back there, and I think he's going to be, for the most part, his ADP has been way ahead of that. His, it's been ahead of the Hunter Henrys. It's been around that top five range, and it can't be. It can't be because we can't expect him to go 16 games, but he's the only other one outside of Saquon Barkley, who I'm even going to entertain on the Giants if the value is right. As far as the wide receivers go, now, first and foremost, I do I still have Sterling Shepard being the guy who gets targeted the most out of the three wide receivers. I do. A lot of people have seen them with like they want to go Darius Slayton right away. I don't see it because of Jason Garrett. I see Darius Slayton getting pitch and hold in a deep role, in a role to just take the safety out of the box, to try to spread defense down the field, to try to be that threat. But I still think Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are going to be the guys on the field when they go to receiver sets. I still think it's going to be those two before that. And when Darius Slayton's on the field, yes, he'll be on the perimeter because they're going to want Shepard and Golden Tate to be able to operate out of the slot. As much as humanly possible, and rotate those two guys in and out. Not that I have a problem with that. Slayton belongs on the perimeter. I'm not saying there's an issue there, but that's what you're going to expect out of this team. And this team is not going to be built to go deep. That has a lot. That has a lot to do with Darius Slayton's value, a lot. And that's what concerns me. Uh, Scrolling down here now, just trying to get, get an idea. I think I passed it already, but. Sterling Shepard, yeah. I don't have, even then, even though he's the number one targeted guy, I have him as wide receiver 26, and I have him playing 13 games. Another guy on the Giants that you just can't project to play 16 games on the season. You just can't. I have him for about 98 targets on the year in those 13 games, about 63 receptions, 770 yards, and about five touchdowns. And I think across the board, it's a reasonable expectation. That lands him in the wide receiver 26. Uh, ranking for me. And and the reason for that is you know, obviously 13 games. I don't have him. Uh, he's not 26 overall as far as where I project him as far as receivers total points at the end of the day. But that's where I have about his average per game. It's going to be a solid average per game because when he's out there, like I said, he's the number one targeted guy. His offense is going to be built around the short to intermediate. That's where he's going to operate at. He's better than Golden Tate at this point in his career. And he's not a guy who's going to be consistently going deep. I think he's just going to be a guy who gets targeted quite a bit. And we had that question kind of answered a little bit last year of if Evan Ingram's on the field at the same time as Sterling Shepard, what happens? You know, who gets the targets in that situation? And because Shepard now is playing a little bit more on the perimeter and kind of going in and out, he's not he's not getting lined up. He's not having to play in the same area as Evan Ingram all the time. So that's what kind of paves the way for him to be the number one wide receiver. After that, Golden Tate, I have him wide receiver forty-seven. Uh, you know, I have him down in the Sammy Watkins, the Sean Jackson territory. He might be solid from a game-to-game basis. I just don't see a lot of upside for Golden Tate. He's not going to be the guy who gets the big games, because the guy who gets the big games will be Darius Slayton or, or Shepard when he's healthy. Um, he's not going to be bad. He's going to consistently be the number two receiver in that area. So he's going to have a floor. He's going to be a guy who can take as a wide receiver five. Or, or or a solid wide receiver four and be able to play him in certain spots and just know he's a guy that you're trying to get somewhere between 8 to 10 points out of in a half-point PPR league, and he'll probably be able to do that pretty consistently. But there's not a high ceiling there. And then right behind him, I have Darius Slayton at wide receiver 52. I want to be hired on Slayton. I really do. I have him for 90 targets, 58 receptions, 700 yards, He's not far off. All these guys statistically are not far from each other. I have him for about four and a half touchdowns on a year, or so I would round that up to five. I want to be higher on Slayton. But I don't see him starting over Shepard and Golden Tate when they go two receivers. I don't see him being on the field as often as those other guys. Now, if that were the change before training camp or before the season kicks off or somebody gets injured in training camp or maybe he... Or maybe in a surprise move, they decide Darius Slayton is going to start over, let's say, maybe Golden Tate. I don't think it's going to be starting Shepard. Maybe he is going to be the starter over Golden Tate, especially in the perimeter. That would change a lot. Darius Slayton might become my number one receiver for the Giants if that were to take place, but I don't see it happening. Jason Garrett's going to stick with his veteran guys like he normally has. And that's what Golden Tate is. So that's what I expect out of them. I don't have huge expectations. Like I said, Saquon's safe. Sa- we're not, we don't have to talk about Saquon that much. He's top... Top five running back, without a doubt. Whether you want him to be number two, number three, number four, I think that's really just all preference at that point. We don't need to talk about him. It's everybody else. The defense? The defense will keep the offense relevant. and as, That's my one question with, with the defense, because they made some improvements in some areas, but I'm not expecting this to be a very good Giants defense. So they're going to have to be in games where they need to score. How is that going to work with the conservative of Jason Garrett? Well, we've seen how it works, right? When he's put in situations where he has to score, he becomes even more predictable than he does in the beginning of games. Even more predictable. And that's what I worry about. I worry about once a defense has no nothing to worry about other than to pin their ears back and go and cover what's going to happen to this offense from everybody else not named Saquon Barkley. Jason Garrett is a negative effect. Do not forget that. It seems like some people have, and I'm not really sure why. But that kind of wraps up my Giants breakdown for you guys before we get into... The Miami Dolphins. I do want to talk to you guys about a sponsor on the show called Hubble. It's called the Hubble Podcast App, H-U-B-L. And what you can do is you can rate or review this episode on their podcast app. It's the first listening app that allows you to rate and review podcast episodes. Remember, again, that's H-U-B-L Hubble. Their logo is a telescope on a red background that you can see in the Apple Store, Google Play Store. And you can also give them a follow on social media at Hubble Podcast App. You can give us direct feedback for this episode, what you think of it, comments, if you want, if there's something that maybe we're not covering that you would wish we would cover or talk about or or just an episode in general, what you would like to see out of us, uh, you could do it through that app. And it's it's a great, useful tool, not just for us, but for you as a listener. And it doesn't just pertain to this show. It pertains to a lot of podcast shows that they have on there. They can kind of have your direct hotline to your favorite podcast shows. So make sure you give Hubble a look on your uh, google play store or on your apple store depending on what phone that you have so next up we want to talk about the miami dolphins and there's one player in particular and i'm going to kind of go out of order that i normally do here there's one player in particular why i wanted to talk about the miami dolphins so bad in this show and that player's name is mike isekie I'm tired of Mike Yosicki getting made out to be this year's version of Mark Andrews because I don't I just feel like that could not be further from the truth. Not further from the truth. Now, before I get into where I have him ranked and everything like that, before I get into, you know, why I have him in certain positions that I do, I do want to talk to you guys about the fact that I do believe that he is an athlete. So don't get me twisted. When I get into this, I do believe he has good athletic ability. Now I think he's a better athlete than he is a tight end, but I do think he is a decent athlete at the end of the day. And I do believe it's, it depends on what scoring format you play in as well, because I have him a bit higher in full point leagues than I do in uh, half point leagues, which is what we're talking about when we talk about this podcast show. But I have Mike Isecki as of now, Ranked as the number uh, 20, I believe. I just had it in front of me in a second. Number 20 tight end overall. And again, I can hear the screaming through the headphones from everybody out there watching and or listening. And by the way, I appreciate you, MD Nation, watching and or listening to this show. But this is why I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins. Mike Isiki being a top 10 tight end it makes zero sense to me whatsoever. Zero sense. Now... Here's what I will say. I don't have a huge difference between tight end 20 and tight end 12. So to say he can make the top 12, it really wouldn't take much in order for him to catapult to me into that area. But I only have him for 83 targets, for 54 receptions, for 641 yards, and for three touchdowns on the year. And a lot of people are ready to make Mike Kosicki the next Mark Andrews because of the tear that he had in the second half of the season last year. But let's think about that. Let's think about why Mike Kosicki had a great productive second half of the season, which was the only stretch so far in his career that he has even been fantasy relevant yet so far to this point. The big number one reason was Preston Williams got hurt. Because before Preston Williams got hurt, Mike Gusecki was in the 3-4 target area. He had about two games where he performed pretty well, didn't score any touchdowns, but he had two games where he had a decent amount of yards, he had a decent amount of targets, but other than that, he was averaging about 3-4 to four targets a game. That's not going to get it done when you're tight end, especially when you're not scoring touchdowns. He didn't score any of his touchdowns. All five of his touchdowns, in fact, from last season came in the second half of the year once Preston Williams went down. And remember, when Preston Williams went down, Albert Wilson was already down. So literally your default targets that you had with any talent out there on the field was Devontae Parker and Mike Kosecki. So that's a big reason why. By default, he had a lot of volume going his way. And it was a lot of volume for the passing game in general. Let's keep in mind here. Let's remember, what was the running back situation like for the Miami Dolphins last year? Did they even have an NFL competent running back on the roster at any point in the year once they trade Canyon Drake away? Did they even have an NFL competent guy? The answer to that is no. No, they didn't. This was a team that was throwing the ball at an ungodly rate because they had no running backs. They couldn't have an NFL competent running game, period. Not even a bad NFL running game, but an incompetent nfl running game it was non-existent there was nobody there so they had to throw the ball all the time they were coming back from behind all the time you had that much volume compacted with the fact you only had two guys to throw it to so yeah by default mike isicky finally got involved the only other thing that would have made him even more involved is Devontae parker went down but it took basically being the fall only other guy out there that they could go to for him to finally put up decent stats. That's number one. Number two, he's not a good blocker. He's not. He's a split-out tight end. And that, to me, limits tight ends and how much they can always be able to play. And that's a big issue for me, especially when it comes to the red zone. Because uh, you can take him away. You can game plan for tight ends if you really want to. So that's my other issue. Right? Like I said, I think he's a better athlete than he is a tight end. Now, Preston Williams... We are not 100% sure, as of now, that he will definitely be playing week one. But there, so far, the reports have been that he's been able to progress through his injury really well, he's been going through rehab really well, and that there is a chance that he could be back for week one. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it took another month. But let's assume right now that things trend in the continue to trend in the positive direction that they are as of now, and he is back week one. Well, all of a sudden, Mike Isiki gets pounded down the pecking order. You know who's definitely going to be back week one? Albert Wilson, who they've already talked about wanting to get involved. So now all of a sudden targets are coming off the board for Mike Gusecki. Especially if they really do want to get Albert Wilson involved because that's a slot receiver position. Now we're talking about the same area of the field. Let's add another caveat. Chad O'Shea is no longer the offensive coordinator. Now I'll say one more time just for the record. I I don't get it. I don't know what Chad O'Shea was supposed to do with the hand that he was dealt with that offense. I don't know how that offense could have been any better last year under anybody with the talent that they had. And the fact that he finally got Devontae Parker involved, which is something Adam Gase and everybody else had failed to do up until that point for the Miami Dolphins since drafting Devontae Parker, I think should have been a big win in his column. But they decided to go another direction. They decided to go with Chan Gailey. You know what Chan Gailey's known for above all else? Not utilizing his tight ends. They are not a part of his game plan other than an extra blocker, period. Something Mike Isicki's not great at, BTW. So unless, and this is also a guy who was Cliff Kingsbury before Cliff Kingsbury. He runs more four wide receiver sets than anyone when he's been the offensive coordinator. More than anybody. So unless Mike Isicki is going to be that fourth wide receiver, If let's let's say they decide that they go the four receiver sets instead of throwing another slot guy out there like a J.K. Grant who's still on the team, instead throwing him out there, let's say they throw Mike Gesicki out there, then my tune would change a little bit. But that's not something we're going to know until we probably see it in the game. We probably won't be able to tell that in training camp or in practice. But that that would change my opinion. And for the record, if I'm Chan Gailey, if I'm running the U offense, that's what I would be doing. If I'm going to be aggressive and running four receiver sets. I'm going to put Mike Kosicki out there. That's why I say I want to make sure it's clear here that I like his talent. I like his athletic ability. But it doesn't add up from a production standpoint. Period. It just doesn't. And I know, I feel like I'm the odd odd man out here when it comes to Mike Kosicki that everyone else is on his bandwagon. The numbers don't add up. The system does not add up. The situation does not add up. And then go back to the running back situation. This is a team who's not going to throw the ball as much as they did a year ago. Because they have an NFL-competent running game now, you have Jordan Howard, you have Matt Breida, and if you go to play to a Tagovailoa, on one hand, you have a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks are known that their best friends can be the tight end, especially if you're utilizing them correctly. But on the other hand, you want to protect that quarterback, meaning you want to be a little bit more conservative, meaning you're going to want to run the football a little bit more. I just named you pretty much three to four different ways that targets are going to be coming off the board for Mike Gusecki, who's coming off of a year where he only really saw targets on a significant level to make him the fantasy-relevant player that he was at the end of the season and just one half of the year where he was the fault guy. And I need you four ways why it's not going to be on that same level anymore. Didn't score any touchdowns until Preston Williams got hurt. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Mike Isicki, like I said, he's my 20th tight end in my half-point PPR rankings as we stand here in training camp. Now, if things open up, if Chan Gailey's like, no, we're going to split Mike Isicki out wide, I'm going to make a plan to utilize a tight end in this situation because, to be fair, to throw this caveat in, Mike Isicki is a better tight end than Chan Gailey probably ever has had as an offensive coordinator. And that's true. But it's not his forte. It's not his speciality. And I have rarely seen coaches who have coached a certain way for a long period of time, who have run their offense in a way for a long period of time, really change it all that much. So whether it's Tua, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, if Preston Williams is healthy, Albert Wilson is healthy, I don't see where Mike Isicki gets the consistent amount of targets that he would need to be a top-10 tight end. And if he's not going to be a focal point in the red zone, which he was not, if Preston Williams was on the field, and you're going to have a better running game where they're going to be able to run the ball into the end zone more often, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? So that's why I have him at number twenty. Now if Williams can't play, if he gets he has to start off in the pup list, if Albert Wilson gets hurt in training camp like he did a year ago, then then things will change, obviously, and these rankings will get updated as new things develop once we get into training camp. But as it stands right now, no. Now I know there's a lot on Mike Kosicki, but that's where I know I'm different than everybody else, and I want to make sure that that position was explained for everybody to understand why and why I feel like if you get caught in your fantasy drafts and things stay as status quo right now, why a favorite saying of mine i like to say to you as part of MD Nation, why you should let someone else make the mistake of dropping Mike Kosicki too high. That's why. Now, as far as everybody else goes, quarterback situation. Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a little bit of both, one or the other. What are we going to get? If I had to bet on it, I would say that we're going to get a little bit of both. And that's kind of how I have them projected out. Tua Tagovailoa is my quarterback 31, just behind Dwayne Haskins. I have him playing 10 games. Ryan Fitzpatrick is my quarterback 34, just behind Mitchell Trubisky. I have him playing six games. So that's kind of how I have it. Look. Ryan Fitzpatrick, wherever he has gone, that second year that he starts does not go well. It just doesn't go well. Teams adapt to him, they've seen him again, you know, second time around. I don't know, whatever the case may be, whatever that whenever he starts with a team for a second year, it never goes well. And then all of a sudden, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets smacked back down to reality. I only have him playing for six weeks as that point. But I want to add this in there. I would not be shocked at all. And I am still kind of debating this in my head that I might be more of the mindset that Tua Attack starts week one. I think that's a real opportunity that that's going to happen and I've been harping on the idea that he could start week 1 at least from a health standpoint since the draft because I feel like I've been one of the few guys been harping on the point that he had been ahead of schedule in his rehab in his hip this entire time and I don't understand why people are still acting like this guy is crippled at the moment he's not he's good to go so I wouldn't be surprised if he starts week 1 but because they brought Chan Gailey in, who has that history with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I have to believe is because they did that with the minds that the Ryan Fitzpatrick would at least start Week One, and if he gets to start Week One, we'll see. I mean, it could be for it could be it could be sooner than that that he gets yanked. But I have him playing the first six games of the season. You know, they wind up being two and four, one and five, whatever the case may be. They make the switch over to lavoa. That's how I see this thing being planned out. That's how I have it projected. Now, obviously. Either one of them, no matter what the situation winds up being, is nothing more than a quarterback streamer. From a fantasy standpoint, you're not drafting either one of these guys. But what does they do for everybody else? Well, Devontae Parker is the only safe dolphin uh, as far as as far as you know the pass catchers go. We'll get into the running backs in, in a little bit. He's actually not the only dolphin that I would look to maybe own in fantasy purposes. We're going to get to that in a bit, but he is the only wide receiver. And he took a big jump up last year. He did. He showed that he has true number one wide receiver talent. The talent that I knew that he had. The talent of why he was my big sleeper last year. And I have him ranked as wide receiver 22 in half-point PPR leagues heading into the 2020 season. One spot behind Marvin Jones. One spot ahead of Jarvis Landry. I think it's a good place. Wide receiver 22... Puts him in the wide receiver two uh, territory. I have him for about 115 targets, 76 receptions, just over 1,000 yards, and about seven touchdowns. I think those are all reasonable expectations for Devontae Parker. I mean, it's less than what he did last year. But I just went through you with why I think Mike Kosicki is going to get less targets. The same same argument stands for Devontae Parker. Now, in Parker's case, he's still going to be the number one targeted player on the team. But Preston Williams comes in. Albert Wilson comes in. Mike Gesicki's involved maybe a little bit more. And more importantly than that, the running backs getting involved in the pass-catching game. Matt is going to be involved in the passing game now. Those are all things that take some targets away from Devontae Parker. And while Parker was good all year long, he also took his big leap that second half of the season when Preston Williams went down. That's really when he became the wide receiver one for the rest of the year as once that happened. So it's a very similar situation, but we just know he's going to be the more targeted guy, so he doesn't ha- I don't have him taking this big fall that I have for Mike Kosicki. Sullivan's wide receiver, 22. I like him there. It's a good, solid spot for him. He's going to be a solid, consistent wide receiver, and I have more faith in his playability, right? or his, his availability, I should say. I mean, Albert Wilson's had injury histories in, in, in the past. Preston Williams, he, he was a rookie last year. He doesn't have the history, but it's a significant injury that he's coming off of. We don't know how he's gonna necessarily react. We don't know if he's gonna be his top peak shape when that comes in. We know what Parker's role is gonna be on this team, whether it's to it, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. It doesn't matter. He's the number one guy. We know Chan Gailey loves to throw the football and get aggressive, especially throwing the football down the field. That should be the that should be the big emphasis there. So I like Parker as a wide receiver too. I'm good with it. So we don't have to talk about him too much. Preston Williams, the one, like I said, with Preston, it's hard to know. What you're going to get out of him, you're hard to know. If he, So I have him projected for 16 games because I am operating under the idea that he plays week one. And because he's a rookie, while he was injured last year, yes, he doesn't necessarily have an injury history. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that if he's able to play week one, he's going to be able to get through the entire season. And I have him as wide receiver 44. I have him one spot behind C.D. Lamb and one spot ahead of Mike Williams. And I like Preston Williams. He has a lot of great ability. He's another guy kind of like Devontae Parker where at some point he's some point sooner rather than later, he's going to take that next step up and show that he has true number one wide receiver ability, that he has that stardom power because he does. The talent is there. The talent is real. I was big on him coming out of college. I was big on him coming into the draft. I thought he was one of the biggest steals of the draft last year. And he was another one of my guys I talked about as being a sleeper for deeper leagues because I knew he's going to be the number two wide receiver because he has that ability. I have him for 99 targets, for 65 receptions, for 830 yards, and for five touchdowns. And that touchdown rate could be a little bit low because if he's truly healthy and able to play 16 games, he's going to be a factor in the red zone. He has a decent amount of potential. I wouldn't take him any higher than a high-end wide receiver four, a low-end wide receiver three, until we get more information on his rehab ability and where he's at physically. But his ability is there. His ability is there. So somebody to kind of keep in mind when you get in those later rounds, he has maybe more of an upside ceiling than some of those other guys in that territory. C.D. Lamb, being that we know he's going to probably be the third man on the on the tickers for our targets, go Mike Williams with Tyrod Taylor now as his, as his quarterback. How that offense is going to work? I would say he has more of a ceiling than either one of those guys. I have him two spots ahead of Sammy Watkins. So that's kind of the territory of which I have him in. That who has the most upside area, and that might it might be him. Albert Wilson, I have him as as undraftable, even if he winds up being healthy and being involved. The only thing Albert Wilson does from a fantasy standpoint is take away from the other guys who you want to be more fantasy relevant. Other than that, Albert Wilson doesn't actually give you anything else on the field. But let's talk about the running backs real quick. Let's talk about Jordan Howard. Let's talk about Matt Breida and a big reason why I think some of these extra targets get taken away. And I have Jordan Howard ranked as my 30th running back overall in half-point PPR. I have not been able to get about 188 carries, 768 yards, about five rushing touchdowns. And I haven't been getting like 31 receptions, 253 yards. I don't think he's going to be a total zero in the passing game. He's going to get a little bit involved in there. He's shown that if you at least throw him, he can get a little bit involved in there just by default. I think he's going to be the lead rusher. I don't have Matt Breeder too far behind him. I have Matt Breeder number 33, so I don't have them too far away from each other. Breida standpoint, I have him for 109 rushes, 448 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Of course, I have him leading the way as being the main receiving back with 72 targets, 55 receptions, 443 yards. And I have him doing all that, by the way, in 14 games. Matt Breida, again, it's another guy who just, he has this long injury history. You can't project him for 16 games. Can't do it. And I think 14, even 14, I might be being a little bit generous there. But I'm going off the notion that, okay, he's still not going to be the lead guy. He's still going to be in a platoon situation. And he's going to have the best opportunity he could possibly have right now because instead of the crowded backfield of the 49ers, he's splitting time with Jordan Howard, who he has a much different skill set from and actually has a more pivotal role that he can definitely by default be in in the passing game, kind of carved out for him already, which is something he didn't do a lot of in San Francisco and really should have done a lot more because he's very good in space. So I'm going on that I think he's going to be a little bit more healthy this year than he has in previous years, but still only playing 14 games on the year, which is why he's my RB 33 one spot ahead of Tevin Coleman. But these are guys to look at. These are guys to look at. These are going to be valuable guys to have on your bench. Do I want Jordan Howard to be my name, my my main RB two? Not unless I want a zero zero running back strategy. And I drafted all these wide receivers and by the fault He winds up being that maybe because they already talked about it, and I didn't really need them to come out in this report to know this. But Jordan Howard's going to be the goal line back. He's going to get those opportunities. Really shouldn't come as a surprise. He's built for it. So I, I just I like this, and because this isn't the Eagle situation where you had a high drafted rookie breathing down your neck. Matt Breed is a young player, but they didn't, they didn't, they have no draft capital in him. They didn't really have to give up much to get to bring him into the team to begin with. He's going to be allowed to keep his job. It's not going to be you get hurt and you never get your job back again. He's going to be allowed to keep his job. So that's why I like Jordan Howard quite a bit. Maybe more so than most. But he's going to be a guy who's going to be a solid running back to have on your bench. And the same thing goes for Matt Breida. And they're not handcuffs to one another. They're not. They're guys that you could both own as RB3s, RB4s in your backfield and be valuable pieces to you. So that's kind of how I see how the, the backfield of Miami Dolphins uh working out there. That pretty much wraps up my Dolphins breakdown. Before we go into our interview with Alan Stark, where we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons, I do want to talk to you guys about another sponsor of the show called Prop Me. Now, what they are is they are the first innovative uh gaming app, I guess you could say, of of their kind. Because what they do is they allow you to completely customize prop bets on anything on absolutely anything you know if if you if you want to take a prop bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong you can make a prop bet on that you want to take a prop bet on what the next play is going to be with your buddies you could take a prop bet on that. They really make it fully customizable for all sports, all things, all the time. They're a great download. Just go to propmellc.com and join today. Completely free to join and a lot of fun, a lot of great ways to win some money. So make sure you go ahead and check out Prop Me. Now on the other side of this, we're going to have Mr. Alan Sterk from SB Nation talking about the Atlanta Falcons. All right, MD Nation. We have on the MD Nation hotline for you guys Mr. Alan Sterk. He's the writer for SB Nation and former editorial writer for The Falcoholic. You can find him on Twitter at Alan underscore Sterk. He's a great follow-on there, uh, especially I've been following him as of late, a couple of weeks, and I've already been getting a lot of inside tips. And we're having him, of course, going to have him on here to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. But first, Alan, how are you doing today?
4: Uh, great, just staying informed what's going because, as you know, football season kind of, uh, I'm not sure if "in jeopardy" is the word, but it's definitely in the loop. So, we're trying to inform day in and day
3: out. Yeah, it's getting a little tricky here with a lot of the players that are testing positive, positive. Uh, and we, this has been the big topic of discussion as I've gone through these interviews. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll we'll kick it off with that. Is you know, with everything going on, what's your feeling on the NFL being the start on time? And even if they do, do you think they're actually going to be able to finish the season?
4: It's hard to give like a credible answer because like. You, know, you really got to be a health expert to know. But I would say, you know, given that they're going to go through every extent to set up the right protocols, it's just more of like, how they are going to coordinate traveling? Cause it's not like you could have everything in one location, like what the NBA is doing. So uh, I can't give like an actual answer. Like I'm just kind of figuring out how, they're gonna operate travel wise because that's the real concern. Because you you have such a huge roster, that's what people have to take in, to the, into consideration. I assume in August we'll get a good feel for it because first of all, we gotta see what training camp is like. Because obviously, as you know, you following the league, it's like they need at least four or five weeks to get ready for a season. So uh, come late July, early August, I am mean, interested to see how that goes on.
3: Well, yeah, and not just that. And I I'm I'm kind of curious, you know do they need expanded MLBs doing it? Do they need expanded rosters throughout the season? Because if you have, you know, running back room or wide receiver room or whatever, and everybody contracts it from each other, all of a sudden you're out, you're on the practice squad, guys. You need guys being ready and able to go if if that were to wind up happening.
4: Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially given how injuries you look at teams, say like the Chargers, like it seems like every year they have like eight players on IR so, and who knows what, players gonna be like when it comes to endurance, you know, what the rehabs have been like for players that suffered season ending injuries last year. So uh yeah, they probably should expand roster, but then we don't quite know what the financials like when it comes to salary. So uh there's just so many questions. I I'm just hoping by August we get, you know, more answers because right now it's we there's been no OTAs, been no rookie minik, just we're just trying to rely on articles That's all we really do.
3: Yeah, I know. And it's it's making everything really, really tricky because you know, we all want to have the season, obviously. But to your point, we haven't even gotten people really in the building on a consistent basis yet. We're already having some issues, and there's a lot of questions that come with that. But fingers crossed. I'm hopeful. There's still some time. Hopefully, we'll have a blueprint here. Hopefully, with the other sports starting up, we'll get some kind of idea of what we can do moving forward. I mean, baseball probably be the closest one because they're not going to play in a bubble either uh, so maybe right. maybe we'll be able to get a blueprint from them. But uh, yeah, we just I need some sports back in general, especially football doing all doing all this. um, But yeah, we brought you on to talk about the Falcons. And of course, being the fantasy show, you know, we're focusing on it from a fantasy perspective of what kind of production we expect out of these guys. It all starts with, you know, Matt Ryan. Is he in store for a bounce back in 2020?
0: With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet.
4: I'm, I'm hesitant right now just because they're, I'm not a huge proponent of Dirk Cutter. I was very surprised that I brought him back, but I think one positive will be I don't see the offensive line crumbling as bad as it did. One thing with Matt Ryan, think he, it was the second most sacks he took in his career last year, and I think over the past two seasons he's been sacked more than 40 times. So with all that punishment, especially Ryan being 35 years old now, uh, he cannot take much more of a beast. So I think now, given the offensive line, Chris Lindstrom, who's a budding star right guard, but Alex Matt, Jake Matthews, he's just you know real good staples on the offensive line. I think if he gets protection, there's no reason why he shouldn't have a bounce back. Here. I think that's what mostly rides on. You know, Even though I'm not a huge opponent of Dirk Cutter, uh, they still could create explosive plays, especially given their supporting cast.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, and that's a great point with the offensive line. I mean, they had a lot of injury issues last year. They're still really young. I mean, the couple of the rookies that got hurt, I mean, really, when you look at it, they're, probably, they're pretty much going to be rookies as far as their experience goes in this season. What do you think about that offensive line if it is healthy?
4: I think I have a chance to be top 10 because I'm, I'm really high on Chris Lynch. He only played about four or five games last year, but even coming back, I remember against the 49ers, he Warden held his own against arguably the best defensive line of the league, and you know, there was a lot of glimpses in preseason that they uh, signed someone back because right guard's been a problem position for almost a decade now, so they right. need to solidify that. Uh, McGarry is very raw. He had some major issues, particularly in pass protection. He's still someone that I don't want to say skeptical of because I like to give a rookie three years, but he definitely uh, needs to work on his footwork and overall technique. But guys like Jake Matthews, Alex Mack, there's still some concerns on left guard, but right now, I think, you when you watch football it's like there's so many offensive lines out there that are questionable. If you have at least three spots secured with above average players, you should feel optimistic. If the South the Fourth McGarry and whoever wins left score, whether it be James Carpenter or Jamon Brown, whoever it may be, I think the fact that they have three above average players on offensive line makes me feel more encouraged.
3: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because that is pretty much what it comes down to. If you have at least one side of your line or an interior aspect of your line, like you said, you got three guys that are above average and are able to stay healthy, you're probably going to be in that conversation for the top ten offensive lines. Just kind of a remark on you know, how the offensive lines really are at this stage in the game. There's not a lot of great ones out there, and, and it's, it's kind of just what you need. You just need a few guys to stay healthy who can play well, and overall you'll wind up doing pretty well as a unit. That goes, you know, that's really big for the running back situation. The Falcons, you know, they bring in Todd Gurley. You know, what what do you think? Not just what his expectations are going to be, but what do you think his percentage of the workload's going to be? Is is it his backfield?
4: I don't, I don't think it could be his backfield just because we've seen what Sean McVay how he used him over the past. I don't want to say two full seasons because the first half of twenty eighteen he got pretty. Uh, substantial workload. I just think now given the knee there there's going to be times where he's going to be rotating out. I don't think he's a running back. You should be given 18, 20 touches. I think it's going to be more of say 14, 16. Obviously there's going to be some games, especially if they're playing with the lead, where it's like, okay, we're you to use Gurley. But I think like all signs of kind of going towards Gurley being more of a player that fits within a supporting cast rather than the workhorse back. I think those days are over and, uh, I'm, I'm curious because he he's someone obviously he's very explosive. He has that breakaway speed. He's really gone stretch runs. We used him in the past game. He's a very diverse player. It's just a matter of okay, make sure you manage his workload because they don't have a lot of depth there. And he's someone that they've invested a lot in. They even though it's only one year, five million. This is a player that it was, once he hit the market, they got him within I would say what eight hours. Yeah. They made sure where to get talked early. So he's a huge piece what they do, and and I think it's exciting just because. the the kind Falcons, of, uh, they've kind of hit this lull now, given that the last two years they've been essentially out of the playoff race by late November. And you know, there wasn't a lot of buzz going through the offseason. So the fact that you get someone that's not just a star but a hometown hero is very exciting. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic, really. It's just more of the manager's workload because this is not a player I don't think could handle you know, 20 touches. He's not someone like a Dalvin Cook or Saquon Barkley.
3: Well, it's interesting on that. I kind, of, I kind of want to get into that a little bit because at the end of last season, the Ram Sean McVay said the heck with it and gave him you know 20 plus touches every single one of those games when they were trying to get back in the playoff stretch. He seemed to hold up okay. He only missed one game last season. And then to your point, while they did invest a decent amount of money in him, it is only a one-year contract. Uh, but you don't believe that because it's only a one-year contract that Falcons will still have reservations in using him up even though they don't really have as much to lose after this season?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. Because they kind of like to rotate around because even when Devontae Freeman was there, he was at his share of injuries. And this is when Kevin Coleman you know, eventually moved to San Francisco. They were still playing guys like Ido Smith and Brian were decent, you know, viable options. But it's hard because you look at Gurley and the, 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 the knee in itself is such like a fragile part of the body. It's like, man, one injury, one bad hit, you, know, you start to get... Uh, Cautious about how you want to use them, so there might be some games, especially because I know they're going to make more of a priority to run the ball because that's one thing Dad Quinn's bad been on because there were so many games last year they were down double digits in the first half and they would essentially banned the run at one point. So um, it, it's hard to like quantify it, but uh, I still uh, just, I think it goes back to the playoffs because you look at the games against Dallas uh, and where they play. I think it was New Orleans, yeah, in the NFC playoffs and and then eventually Super Bowl, just like, why is C.J. Anderson getting these guys? I think that was like the first real sign. You know, I, When it comes to how they used them late last year, I think maybe they were just playing for the playoff lives, so uh, that might vary. And I don't know, I'm, you look at the offenses as well, I think Sean McVay kind of came to terms that Jared Goff isn't someone that, could really take the initiative. Be someone that is much better when he's playing front using play action. I think Matt Ryan's more of a quarterback where it's like, okay, we can give him the full range compared to someone like Jared Goff.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. It's a, it's a, it's a very good layout. If uh, So in your opinion, if they're going to manage Gurley's work a little, a little bit, who's going to be that second running back? Is it going to be Edo Smith? Is it going to be Brian Hill? Is it going to be a combination of the two?
4: of a big Edo you know, Smith fan. he was really good in his rookie year. Then uh he kinda of battled injuries and once again it was hard for Falcons to run the ball last year given that there are so many games they were behind. But I think Edo you know, Smith's like this real shifty, very elusive running back, someone that could make a lot of people miss. Uh the issue is he's like five nine, so it's kind of I'm not sure where they're gonna use it. exactly that's why Brian Hell is kinda of more the power back where maybe they can use him a little bit in short yardage. Uh I would say Guido will probably get more to carries, but I know Brian Hill kinda of worked his way into the rotation. So uh if I had to say maybe they'll give Guido a shot, especially when it comes to pickups, which he's very good for. But I, I definitely do think Brian Hill will play some side of role, some type of role.
3: Okay. Okay. I like it. And uh I mean so the big thing after that is of course Julio Jones, you know, been one of the top, you know, three receivers in fantasy football for, for years now. He's always a consistent target monster. Uh, maybe Calvin Ridley takes a step up this year, but let's focus on Julio Jones for this. just this question. What's your expectations for him? Do you think he be, he's able to find the red zone maybe more this year finally?
4: <laughs> I get that all the time. Yeah. It's so weird because part of it I will say is that teams really do key up on him when in the red zone. They, they will press him at the line of scrimmage. They will have a safety lurking. So there are times where teams just scheme up. Okay, you're going to have to beat us that way, whether it's, you know, before obviously Mohamed Sanu was there, it's like, okay, who was with Sanu or Austin Hooper? That, that's who uh, will single cover and you beat us with them rather than say Julio. Uh, I think it falls more on the offense coordinator because, like, what can Julio do if he's getting double cover in the red zone if you're probably like, the five, six yard line? So they have to be more on Derek Cutter, who, you know, has had. Multiple years coaching Jones because given that Jones was there and cutter from 2012 to 2014. So right. uh, I always say when it comes to numbers, like I don't expect who to lead maybe yards, but I don't expect receptions or targets or even touchdowns because you, know, you have guys like Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, who are very number one featured roles where it's like there's no real number two in their mm-hmm. on their teams. I love Emmanuel Sanders, but Sanders isn't necessarily a guy that gets a lot of targets. So well, when it comes to numbers, I say like, okay, Michael Thomas, Devontae Ambrose, like the two receivers, they're gonna get monster targets, they're gonna put up absurd catches, yards, touchdowns. But you know, who's gonna do this thing? I resume speaks for itself. Since I would say what 2012, outside of 2013 where he focused foot was out for a year, but 2012, you kind of know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get like 80, 90 catches for you know, between 1,200 to maybe 1,600 yards and six to eight touchdowns. Uh, the Reds will dig. it's just I don't know. They just never seem to solve it. And I think you really need a good play caller to do it. And like once again, third cutter not exactly the guy I would have full faith in. But I think with Julio, you put him in that three. If I had to rank it, I would say you know, just fantasy wise, I think he's probably below just Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams. Like you probably put him against with like say like a New Cousins.
3: Yeah, I mean just to comment on that, uh, my my rankings are about to get published soon, and I actually have Julio uh, in half point leagues number number two. Overall, I have him just ahead of Devontae Adams, uh, right behind Michael Thomas. I think Atlanta's offense in general is going to take a bit of a step up for at least a production standpoint from what they were last year. And uh, as a result, I think, you know, Julio, I just just think he's in line for another 1,300 yards. The question is going to be the touchdowns. If he can get a number of touchdowns, I think he might be right there with Michael Thomas personally. Uh, but that kind of leads into what do we expect out of Calvin Ridley. Uh, what kind of th- season can he, is this his, is this his year to finally take that jump up? And we, we thought it might be last year, didn't quite get the expectations that we wanted for him, but is it this year?
4: It's crazy. I see so much hype about Calvin Ridley, just from different fantasy football providers. It seems like every week, there's like a new thing going up yeah. with Calvin Ridley. He's a special talent. Incredible route runner, very explosive, has great hands. Uh, I think this would be huge just because now Sanu isn't there. Like people right. forget, Mohamed Sanu commands a lot of targets. He's someone that's had a great rapport, Matt Ryan. He would get six to eight targets a game, so that would kind of eat up uh, Ridley's target share. And not to mention, you also had. Um, sorry, the motorcycle, but, okay. uh, Austin, Austin, and Hooper also, you have to take into account, use some of that girl for, right? And even though I do think Hayden Hurst could do some damage, and I think he's a you know, capable replacement. You know, I think now it's clear, like really is the clear number two compared to what it was in 2018 or 19, where, uh, you had Hooper and Tanu who were going to get, there were times they had monster games and they would take a lot of targets. Like really was limited to say three or four. Now, really is the clear number two. There's no denying that. So, uh, I think yeah, this should be his breakout year. I think it's just more effective to find that consistency because I think him and Ryan have always had great chemistry. It's just more about the target share because you have to take that into account when it comes to why to see receivers have this breakout year. You know, there's only one Tyree Kill. Like Tyree Kill is someone that doesn't really need a monster target share to put crazy numbers. Everyone else they kind of need at least nine, ten targets to you know put up the numbers that you want from a say number one receiver.
3: Well, yeah, especially with a guy like Calvin Ridley too, because he is somebody who's known for not really having great statistics after the catch at the moment. So, having the volume that you're talking about with Sanu gone and Hooper gone, that does go to him. He has a more solidified uh, floor heading into this season. I definitely believe if he can, if he can get better after the catch, I think we're going to see a huge step up. But I, I don't know. I have question marks about that. He doesn't seem to break tackles as much as I really thought he would.
4: Right. Yeah. He's not the most like. Which he's not the most shifty receiver. He's more someone that, you know, he's a burner. Like, he'll get behind the defense he'll go from there. But he's not someone that, you know, obviously, he's what, like six foot, so he's not breaking yeah. tackles and he doesn't make a lot of people miss. So, yeah, I w- that is a, a critique. But also, you would hope there, they, especially for receivers the same age, like you want to scheme them up. You want to scheme up where they can get into space. And it just, you didn't see that a lot last year. So, I think that's also more from a coaching standpoint where, you know, you hope that if it could improve so it'll benefit really members.
3: No, that's completely fair. Uh, and you told, you mentioned Hayden Hurst a little bit. I, I'm big on Hayden Hurst this year, especially from a, a sleeper tight end standpoint for fantasy football purposes. I think he's actually more athletic than Austin Hooper. I think he fits the role quite well. We know Matt Ryan will throw it to the tight end, especially in the red zone. What do you think of Hayden Hurst's season?
2: Join now, and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes bike, bike plus, and tread basics. See additional terms at onepeloton.com.
4: He has a lot of uh, you know, positive attributes, some things you want for a time guy that could go vertical. And Matt Ryan, you see, seen, I think, over the course of his career when you know, his best years, for the most part, have come when he's had a consistent tight end. You think of some of the years he's had with Tony Gonzalez. And eventually with Austin Hooper. So the fact that he's getting someone else that has a, look, well, he's formed first round pick. I know he hasn't done much in the league necessarily, but look at that offense. He was, in. he was in a run first offense, a very unorthodox offense at Baltimore. So I'm kind of intrigued about, I'm kind of intrigued how he fits especially with someone like Julio and, and uh, really because he's someone that's going to get a lot of single coverage and, you know, someone with his athletic background, you know, he's not going to command a lot of attention. So uh, maybe I don't know what to put on. I think it's just more, let's see what he puts together. 16 games. because He also had some injury issues as well. So mm-hmm. there's some unknowns, but I think just given how good Matt Ryan is and how he consistently gets tight ends involved, like I think Jacob Tammy had his best year of his career with Matt Ryan so he's right, someone that loves throwing a tight end. So that's why I think there's no reason why people should hesitate on Hayden or see someone that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being like a top 10 scorer at the tight end position.
3: Well, yeah, and I actually have him just inside of my top 10 too. It just lines up. If you vacate the targets for Austin Hooper, he slides right in there perfectly. Like I said, he fits the role from a physicality standpoint. I just think I just, maybe he's not putting up tight end one numbers that we saw at Austin Hooper last season in his first year with the Atlanta Falcons, but I see no reason why he's not going to be highly productive uh, from that position. Right. The, the last question yeah. I have for you, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand when you're talking about the offense, especially with the Atlanta Falcons, is what's your outlook on on the defense? Have they improved at all, or is this just going to be a team that's going to have to play shootout football all season long again?
4: I'm probably lean slightly more towards shootout football. It's just because they don't have a lot of playmakers. Like, Greg Jarrett's fantastic. Deion Jones won the best in the league. If Keanu Neal stays healthy, I think he's a true enforcer. And, you know, we'll see what they get. Dante Files. Dante Files is intriguing, but he's not the most consistent edge rusher. But, besides that, there's just a lot of unknowns. The secondary's very young, uh, especially at the corner position and in the division, where you have Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. This is going to be a crazy division. Not to mention, they play the AFC West, and the AFC West, it's not just the Chiefs now there's other teams both the look with Denver and you know, the Chargers have done this all season so yeah I don't have high expectations for his defense I, I am I think there's one encouraging thing is that Raheem Morris has taken over a full role at the French okay. they kind of made a shift last season when after they went one and seven, they after the bye they put Raheem Morris uh and Chef Holbert, the linebacker coach, in more play corner responsibilities because Quinn was trying to take over everything and that would to be a total disaster. But once Raheem Morris came in, they shut down New Orleans. They beat San Francisco. Like they'd be arguably the two best NFC teams on the road during that six and two yeah. stretch. It's a big reason why Dan Quinn you know, has a job. So if there's one positive besides the fact, okay. I think Fowler is someone that going to be a huge upgrade over someone like a Vic Beasley. And you know I am excited to see what Keon Neal could do if he could fail. I think the best thing you could say about the Falcons defense is just the fact that you know, Raheem Morris is there. And he's someone, even though it didn't work out in Tampa Bay, he's really built back up his reputation across the league.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. The, the scheme, like, they had that whole big coaching shift right after that bye week, and, and they look like a completely different team in the second half. So, yeah, that is going to be the question on both sides of the ball. Can they carry that into? Uh, 2020. To your point, though, they are only a few key injuries away. I mean, there's been in- injury issues with Deion Jones. There's been injury issues with Keanu O'Neill, And if those two go down, it could be really, really bleak again like it had been for the past couple of years without those guys in certain spots, too. Uh, so that'll be that'll be really interesting to watch, and that'll also propel uh, fantasy production because they're going to have to score a lot of points. Uh, but Alan, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You're absolutely fantastic. Before you go, can you tell everybody something you're working on now that we can all go ahead and, and look forward to, and where to follow you at?
4: Uh, you can follow me at Alan underscore That's A L E N underscore S T R K. Right now, I'm doing a lot on Soccer Podcast with uh Larry Aaron Freeman. We're kind of doing this, like, 16-person tournament where it's kind of like an off-season thing where we're quizzing people on the past 15 seasons. So, we've been, like, doing, like, this tournament for the past, I think Six weeks now and it's been very encouraging. We actually also just recently did an interview with Jamal Anderson, who is the famous running back. He's known for the dirty bird dance. He was great in that 1998 Super Bowl season. We just did like a two part interview with him, just talking about all sorts of different subjects. So, uh, if you want to check out that, that is definitely an interview I recommend. He was great. He gave us like 55 minutes. That's why we had to do two parts. So yeah, I'm really focused on it with the podcast these days.
3: Awesome. Well, everybody go ahead and check out Alan. He's an absolutely great follow on Twitter as well. Alan, thank you so much for coming on. I hope to talk to you again in the future.
4: Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you.
3: And that was Alan Stark from SB Nation talking about the Atlanta Falcons. I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview. On the other side, we're going to have Stephanie Stradley from the Houston Chronicle talking about the Houston Texans and breaking down all of their fantasy value in just a few minutes. Before we do that, I do want to talk to you guys about a great sponsor of this show called Trophy Smack. Commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There's no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belted, and rings with a variety of colors, along with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BellyUp. So click on our Trophy Smack link on Twitter or on Facebook, or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code BellyUp on your order today. And here's Stephanie Stradley of the Houston Chronicle. All right, MD Nation, on the MD Nation hotline for our last interview of the day, we have Miss Stephanie Stradley. She is the Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. You can follow her at Steph Stradley on Twitter. And I highly recommend that you do so because she is constantly coming out with inside information tips, along with a lot of other great stuff as being a, uh, a lawyer on top of that. I've learned a lot of great, interesting things from you uh, so far, Steph. How are you doing?
2: How are you doing?
3: I'm doing I'm doing great. And, you know, as well as anybody could really expect. I'm healthy and uh I hope you are as well.
2: Uh I already had COVID in March, so I'm really hopefully done with that.
3: Oh my goodness. How how long did it last for you? Uh
2: three weeks of bad stuff. But um uh hopefully everything's good. Had a physical after, I'm the blood work's good. So <laughs>
3: Well, I'm very happy to hear that you're okay now. Uh very brutal to have to go through that. I think you're the first person I've talked to that actually has had it. Uh so yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was one of those things where I was in a hot spot but didn't know I was in a hot spot okay. and uh travelled home and then gave it to my husband. But he's <laughs> fine too.
3: Okay, well, hey, as long as you guys are okay now, that's 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 the most important part at the moment. As as being someone who's yeah. who's had it and has been, you know, you know, you're going right through this with with everybody else who's testing positive and everything else. How do you think this is going to, you know, turn out as we we're, we're trying to get sports back and everything like that? Do you think it's going to work out?
2: Well, you know, I, it's been kind of interesting to me. I think some of the people that went through it early are more pessimistic than the people who haven't been through it. Or, you know, or maybe they had very minimal symptoms. Like I know, I know two people in our office who barely had any symptoms at all and only found out because one of the people lost their sense of taste and smell, which is, is actually more than like taking somebody's fever. It's actually more indicative that you have it. Okay. Um, so you know, you know, we're all kind of guessing because obviously this is a novel coronavirus, but I can tell you, at least from my own experience, you know, I'm a pretty healthy person and my only risk factor is that I'm not a kid. Right. And, uh, you know, if, if you would have gotten this as bad as I did you know, during a season, like, what does the coach do? Like, you yeah. know, do you have staff big enough to run your team? And... You no, know, there's just no rhyme or reason who gets it
3: bad. Yeah, that that's, that's an excellent point. Do you run your team, or or you know, I've talked about this with with some other people. You know, what happens if it runs through you know one of the running back rooms or receiver rooms, or or yes. you know something along those lines too? How are you going to be able to to do that? Are, are we going to have 90 man rosters? I mean, what do you think about that?
2: Or or the the 14 day quarantine. Right. Like if you're exposed to somebody, you're supposed to quarantine for 14 days. I don't know how you handle that. I know that some people have suggested that, you know, maybe it's good if you get the disease early. But at least from the medical folks that I've talked to, they've told me to conduct myself as though I could get it again because they don't know. You know, there is some reports that say that the antibodies don't last that long and that um you know maybe there are t cells that give you immunity on a longer term basis and i hope for all of us that once you've had it you're done because it would not be good otherwise but we we just don't know
3: yeah i I will say that i have heard of a few reports of people who have gotten it a second time around um that does seem like it's it's possible unfortunately i
2: have to say I have to say that I know way too much about this because I've been personally motivated to look it up. Oh, sure. The latest stuff that I've heard on that subject is that you might still be expressing the virus in a way that the test can detect. Okay. So it can make it look like you've had it twice. The other thing is, you know, if you've had two negative tests, there are also false negatives. Like the reason why you get two negative tests is to kind of rule it out, but you could have two negative tests that were falsely negative. So there's any number of things. I mean, the the most positive thing so far is in the places that were hit very early with it in China and South Korea, there have been some countries that have been able to get their totals very low, and you wouldn't think that that would happen if you could immediately get it again.
3: Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I guess it's the one silver lining we've been able to find so far because I haven't been able to find too many, uh, honest, honestly. I've been trying to stay positive that, uh, you know, we're going to be able to get some things back, and, well, you know, but I'm not so sure about it. it
2: you know, I think the, the good news is, you know, there's been some treatment issues with um, uh, the antibodies, and my husband and I have both donated uh, a plasma so that they're doing research and maybe making— treatments that can help people and you know they're of course working on vaccines i mean the the good news from all of this is all of the smartest people in the world are completely motivated yeah to work with this so out of all the smart people i i hope that something good happens
3: yeah this this is an international uh dilemma going on right now and you're right all the smart people not just us but all around the world are are working on this so it's i have fingers crossed that hopefully we'll be able to Figure out something to at least, if nothing else, be able to manage it. If not, be able to cure it. You know, obviously that'd be the best hope, but I'll take managing at this point and managing well. Uh, frankly, with what, sure. we, what we've had to go through uh, to to this point. Uh, but Steph, you know, we we brought you on because uh, we really want to talk about you know the Houston Texans and uh, you know with our fingers being crossed that there will be a season to actually. Entertain ourselves with, and for you to be able to cover, especially with the Texans this year, they have they have a very interesting year in front of them after a very interesting uh, off season, and I think it all starts with really Deshaun Watson. You know, what does losing DeAndre Hopkins do to him?
1: Yeah, there's there's
2: nothing like finding out about a global pandemic at the same time as, as I know your best player on an offense is traded away. I, I mean, I think. I I think it goes with the general idea that, you know, let's say a New England style offense doesn't want to focus its resources on a wide receiver position. Like, you know, they haven't done that in New England and I don't think that they're, you know, they knew that that Hopkins wanted to get paid and they didn't want to put that many resources towards one position. The problem with Hopkins has been one of the few wide receivers who's had reliable hamstrings and it's really difficult to trade away somebody who has been so reliable who if you throw it anywhere near him he's going to catch it and you know he just stays on the field and you know that's a skill
3: yeah for sure um and look, with Bill O'Brien and everything, too, you know, is he going to run this offense a little bit differently with DeAndre Hopkins gone? Or are we going to use Seymour, two tight end sets? Or are going to be a little bit more run-first approach? I mean, all these things kind of trickle down from that trade.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is what they want to do. And this is what they've always wanted to do. Now, whether he has the personnel to do it, I don't know. I think there's always been a tension with Bill O'Brien and the previous non Bill O'Brien GMs that he thought that they were being too patient, you know, he would get a, you know, the GMs would get various developmental players and it would take a while for them to figure out if, Hey, is this a good player or not a good player? And so he, you know, he kind of derailed that and said, Hey, you know, we need some more veterans in the middle of the roster, which is, you know, if you look at the Texans, roster over the years, it's either been very young or very old and not a lot of the really good players in the, in the middle. And so he's tried to kind of, you know, buy his way into that by getting some free agents to fill those kinds of roles. So I think ultimately with the offense, what he wants mm-hmm. to do is make it a game plan offense where you see that the weaknesses of, you know, your opponent is that weak. And then you game plan about how you want to tackle those deficiencies. And so that's easier to do when you have, I don't know, I guess not as concentrated of an offense through one wide receiver. Because, you know, most of the time it was going to be you know, through the ball, to Hopkins, because you would be insane not to do it. Now it's going to be, let's focus on the matchups that make sense this week.
3: Well, let's spread the ball around more and that 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 could very well be the case. I mean they they bring in Brandon Cooks. Uh they do have Will Fuller who, you know, maybe if you could ever stay healthy, does seem like he has, you know, a lot of talent on the field when he's able to be on the field, and that's always the big question mark there. But let's first let's drive into Brandon Cooks and what do you think his role is going to be in this offense? Is he gonna be the number one receiver? Uh,
2: you know, I don't think I don't think that from a fantasy perspective you're gonna be able to bet on any of any of the wide receiver tight end targets. Okay. Now I do think that, you know, Deshaun Watson has been a dynamic player from a fantasy perspective and also regular football perspective. And I I think that, you know, assuming health on his part, I mean, I think he's a no brainer. He's gonna have a big season, you know, assuming that they have it. I, I think that in a league where running backs have been devalued because you know the just it makes more sense to pass. I think running backs in the Texan scheme will always have a place if only just even if they're not efficient, I think he still wants to run them so that Deshaun Watson doesn't take so many hits and they don't assume that Deshaun Watson's gonna, you know, have the ball in his hands every down.
3: Yeah. I well that yeah I mean we're I, that kind of leaves us you know the a, other aspect of that trade of course DeAndre Hopkins was David Johnson, um I have my question marks on what I think he is at this point but I mean what what's your take on that situation?
2: I think what they're guessing on is just hey look you know he's not everything that Arizona wanted from that contract, and I think the same thing goes with cooks, you know, maybe he's not everything that they wanted from that contract, but they're still good players, especially if you play to their skills. And so what they're betting on is like, okay, we can use these players in a role that is more suitable to them. And we can get value from that, even if it's not value commensurate to what their contracts are.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's very fair. A lot of people, especially the Brandon Cooks thing, uh, a lot of people have written him off. I'm not really sure uh, why. I know I understand, of course, obviously that he had the concussion injury issues last year, but other than that, Brandon Cooks has been pretty healthy throughout his career. And uh, with the concussion issues, yes, there's something that can they can crop up at any moment, and that's you know very true and everything yes. like that. But he is He is a guy who's been very very productive and outside of last year has been able to play sixteen games on a consistent basis so i 'm not as worried about Brandon Cook 's being able to give them at least what they need to be competent at the wide receiver group i guess i'm just more i 'm more concerned about David Johnson because he just didn 't look like the same player to me anymore flat uh, flat out and even when he came back when he was you know supposedly healthy, maybe he wasn 't one hundred percent healthy at that point. it could very much have been the case. but when he came back, he just looked like he lost more than just a step to me. That that's going to be my big thing. Now, we're not going to know because until we get training camp, we can't really see these guys or gauge yeah. these guys where they are physically or anything like that. But I think that's going to be the real question mark. And that kind of makes me turn to, to Duke Johnson it was very interesting. They brought in Duke Johnson last year and when we all thought that he was finally going to get his opportunity to be the future guy, they suddenly turn around and bring in Carlos Hyde too. Duke Johnson's obviously going to be the backup of David Johnson this season, but if David Johnson was to get injured again, which I think is prob- a probable scenario at this point in his career, are they going to let Duke Johnson be the guy to step in?
2: I don't think that they have any intention to have anyone be the guy. Okay. I mean, I, I certainly think that they're going to give David Johnson every opportunity to be the player that they think that he can be. But at the same time, I don't think that they like to overplay any one running back. And it's kind of kind of that situation that you sometimes see. Well, I mean, going back to the Patriots, where you know, the Patriots will have one running back that looks awesome, gets a lot of points in one week, and then the next week. They don't. Okay. Um, And so I think with both of these players, if you were looking at it from a fantasy perspective, you just really need to focus on what you know any kind of health reports that you get, and and he'll just play the hot hand or whatever. Whatever player is maybe practicing better, he is very much somebody who rewards somebody. Practicing And Carlos Hyde actually played through a lot of injuries last year and was still very, very, very productive. I mean, injuries that were not necessarily readily apparent at the time that they were going on. Like, there might have been something in the injury report, but there wasn't details on what, what he was going through. So I don't think that you can really buy into one guy, but I do think that you should look over the course of the season at trends and health and whoever has the hot hand and who's practicing well and healthier, I think is, is going to get time from week to week.
3: Yeah. I think the Houston Texans, maybe, maybe more so or at least as much as any other team in the league are going to be a very fluid situation throughout the season, especially from a fantasy perspective, just because of all the question marks from the health standpoint, especially that they have um, just to go back on, on Will Fuller a little bit real yeah. quick. Do you, do you know of anything he's doing maybe this offseason to try to help him stay a little bit more healthy? I know some guys will they'll change their routines if they had some issues with that. Has he done that at all?
2: You know, it's hard to get much reports right now right. because, you know, COVID makes things kind of odd, and a lot of players just don't share that kind of information. I, I do think it's overall the biggest risk factor for hamstrings is two things. Have you had a history of hamstring injuries? And are you a fast person? Well, Fuller is in both of those categories, so it's really hard to kind of go all in on him as an option. Now, the flip side is when he is healthy, Watson gets the ball in. They have very good chemistry, um, particularly you know, from moving up from his, his rookie year to his second year, he just had better chemistry and better hands. So when he's healthy, that's that's good. But I, I I'm not sure that you're ever going to be from a fantasy perspective comfortable, you know, putting him in ink like you were, let's say, with Hopkins.
3: No, absolutely not. I love his ability. I've always had. I was a big fan of him going back to, to Notre Dame. Um, a lot of people in my industry, and I feel like I'm on the outside with, with this opinions they want it, they want for whatever reason they want to pinpoint Will Fuller being that number one guy. I have it being Brandon Cooks just mm-hmm. because I have a little bit more trust that he's going to be able to stay healthier as the season goes on. Um, but I,
2: no, I see. I'm not buying. I'm not buying either one of those positions. Okay. I think. I think that all of the non-running back targets are not very good. Good choices for the Texans. Okay. I, it, I mean, I think it's almost the same way with like the tight end position. You know, they're all. They're all capable of putting up points from week to week, but I don't think that that any of them would be the dominant guy. And I don't think that that's what they want. I think they really want to see, okay, who's healthy, who has the hot hand, and who has the good matchup this week. So I think that those players are more kind of waiver-wire kind of players where you might say, okay, you know, this team sucks against – you know this type of wide receiver. Like they have no speed in the in the secondary, so that's let's, let's say that you know we we think the Texans are going to have a big week with their wide receivers this week. Just yeah, to,
3: you know. find the mismatches, rotate, rotate, rotate. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I was just about to like ask you about the only, tight end group.
2: Yeah, like the only person, the only people that I would feel good with drafting would be obviously Deshaun Watson, and and the running backs. It may be you know. But there is enough points, uh, maybe not as your primary guy, unless that kind of evolves into that situation over the course of the year, but you know Bill O'Brien's gonna want to run the ball mm-hmm. more than other teams do. So you're just gonna get more attempts than, you know, maybe some of the other teams where the running back is more of an afterthought.
3: Yeah, what I will say with that, too, is that when you have Deshaun Watson, when you have a mobile quarterback, especially to that level, whoever's the guy getting the touches that week has an efficiency bump because that always just happens with a scrambling quarterback. Extra holes get to be made, especially when they run read options, and I, I expect they'll do yes. some, some of that this year, too. They always get that little efficiency bump there.
2: Yes, and and it's clear that Bill O'Brien sometimes will run when it's efficient to run, and their running game will be efficient. But he will still run the ball when the running game is not efficient whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. So you're still going to get the attempts.
3: So I'll ask you, I'll ask you this question. I, I actually wasn't playing on it, but uh, I'm not a big Bill O'Brien play caller fan. Uh, but what, what's, what's your take on Bill O'Brien and, and with this team? And What's your confidence level, I guess I should say?
2: You know, I am not a big fan of that either. I mean, if you look at his entire time being with the Houston Texans, he has never run a efficient offense. Like for example, if you switch the head coaches between Kansas City and the Texans, I would always, yeah, I would always be an Andy Reid person mm-hmm. because Andy Reid has a track record over a long period of time of having very effective offenses, no matter who his personnel is, right? right? Now, what what the Texans have is, well, is more of a scrappy guy. You know, like, they will win in circumstances um, that maybe they shouldn't win just because they will scrap their way to a win, even if it's not pretty at all. And they're going to have to probably do that this year because I am not – I am not buying the Texans defense, and what that means is whoever you know, like last year, whoever was facing the Texans defense um, was going to have they were going to have a bump in right. <laughs> like that quarterback would be like facing Watson. Right. So I'm not a big believer in in him as an offensive play caller. Now, part of that would be. he would probably argue, hey, I'm doing the best offense I can, given the limitations I might have had at this position or that position. Mm -hmm. Some of that was, you know, over many years it was he didn't have a quarterback. Over more years there was he didn't have an offensive line. Uh, And then with Watson it's been, okay, how can we develop him as a player but not getting him killed? Well, they did do much better last year as far as, as the number of times that he was getting hit. But part of that was being inefficient, in running the ball that, when they probably shouldn't have, just to make sure that Watson wasn't going to get hit every play. But I I don't, I don't buy into him as a play caller. I think I think that sometimes people are their own worst enemies. and I think that that's Bill O'Brien's issue. I don't think that he has enough people that he trusts that are good at their job to help him do things. So he's GM for he was head coach some years he's been offensive coordinator too. And that's just it's a a specialized world. Yeah. Get good people in and get them get them to help you.
3: Yeah, I well, I was gonna I was gonna kind of lead up with that because now, well, he has no, to your point, excuse of you know I didn't have this at this position or this at that position. Well, now he's been a GM. Now he's he's put he's made all these trades. He's brought in you know what would supposedly be his guys. I tend to think that this has to be a make or break year for Bill O'Brien. No.
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting about it is, you know, even though he was named GM, he is the most reluctant named GM that has ever existed, because when he's asked about it, he will continuously say, oh, well, this is collaborative. I work with all these good people. But the reason, as I understand it, that he was named GM, is, I mean, the primary one is the buck stops with him. Like, Mm -hmm. his name is on all of these decisions. Like, you can say it's collaborative, but if you're the GM, you're the GM, right? Right. Right. And then uh, the other thing is, you know, they didn't get... They tried to bring in a GM and it didn't work out. And so that's how they came up with their collaborative approach. But if you're not all in on O'Brien, let's say, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to get rid of him and get a new GM if you don't already have a GM under contract. Like if you're going in a completely different direction. Yeah. Let's say.
3: It's easier to clean house. Yeah.
2: It's easier to clean house when it's one guy. Right. And, and and the one guy now owns it. Like, like he's not. He's actually done pretty well given, you know, that he had rotating quarterbacks for a while, and mm-hmm. and you know his his record's actually pretty decent. It's just,
3: I don't know if he's that guy people, to take him over that he, next hump.
2: Well, that and you know, I think just the extreme disappointment was looking at what Deshaun Watson was able to do his rookie year, right, where he was putting up some huge numbers. Now, now a lot of it kind of looked like yard ball, right? It, but it wasn't necessarily out of the structure of, of the offense. And so I think the big frustra- you know, frustration is is like, okay, well, what would happen if somebody who was a great offensive mind like an Andy Wood had a player like Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I mean, it, and you, you can see why you would think that after seeing some of the most dynamic performances, Watson's rookie year, but like that wasn't sustainable. He got hurt and he was getting hit a lot. So like, how do you, how do you let him use his skills, yeah. but do it within like the form of, of the offense? And I'm just not sure that Bill O'Brien's the person that can do that.
3: No, I mean exactly to your point. It's it's can instead of Deshaun Watson being good with seemingly in spite of Bill O'Brien, could you have a coach that could actually improve upon what he brings to the table? Uh, to begin with, that's been my question the entire time with Bill O'Brien. Is why I haven't been a big fan. It's also why I was kind of excited that he got the 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 GM name because now now there are no excuses. Now it's look, you either you find a way to get past the Chiefs. Or to your point, I think they're going to wind up cleaning house, um, and that might be the best thing for Deshaun Watson moving forward. Not just from a fantasy perspective, but from an NFL perspective as as, as well. So I think that's something that we're all going to be uh, watching very very closely this year. Well, and
2: and and this, you know, it just so turned out that this would be a terrible year to have had to. Switch, yeah, true. Switch for
3: coaches. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I knew he was going to get one more season anyway because he, they, I knew they were going to give him one more one more GM shot. Cause they still made it, you know, what AFC conference championship game. I, so you weren't going to get rid of him after that a, a, anyway. So uh, I knew there was gonna yeah. get one more shot to try to get his guys in, but doing the deals that he did this off season, that, that pretty much puts your stamp on like this, this better work because these, these are your guys and you gave up a lot to get some of these guys in here at, uh, as well. Um, you talked about and, the defense. And, Go ahead.
2: And, and, and frankly, you know, let's say, let's say this season ends up being the season, but it's, disappointing in whatever respect and they can not right there's lots of there's lots of teams that would like to have the kind of results that the texans have had
3: over yeah. the years yeah without a doubt they've been in the playoff contention what almost his entire tenure yeah yeah, no, I mean I don't I don't question that aspect of it. Uh, like I said, it's it's that are you that guy to get over the hump because he he got him to that point. Yeah. He plays that Patriots style ball where it's I'm going to play not to lose better than you're going to play not to lose, which puts them in a the situation well, to beat those teams uh, at at times. That's how I always look at the Patriots anyway. Personally, it's they play they yeah. play not to lose better than anybody, and I think Bill O'Brien well, the, has tried to bring that in as well.
2: And and I think even on top of that. You know, for many years, the Texans' defense was dominant. They were a dominant defense. So if you have a dominant defense, do you really want to be very aggressive on offense when you don't need to be, when your defense is actually winning you a number of
3: games? That's a good point.
2: So I get that, but that's not going to happen. I would be the most surprised human being on the planet if the Texans' defense was good at all <laughs> at all yeah I mean, it's the jj Watt show
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and there's just not a, yeah i just don't see the things in place roster wise to have a dominant defense now of course you know the rosters aren't set right now and that's like i think that if you had a couple more players brought in that defense could be good i'm just not a believer in it
3: I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm right there with you. I think that's a big reason why their offense is going to be so interesting from a fantasy standpoint because I think they're gonna to have to win games yes. and shootouts.
2: Yes. Yes. So the the Texans from a fantasy perspective are all the matchup play, other than you want Deshaun Watson, you want to target the running backs but not too too high.
3: I agree. Steph, uh, thank you so much for calling in your excellence in this interview. Uh, What's something that you are working on right now that we can all look forward to checking out and tell everybody one more time where to follow you?
2: Well, I'm not really working on anything in particular now because there's not a lot going on. True, But I want to make everybody's life better in the ways that I can. And I am not you know, a billionaire that can give money out. But what I can do is give advice to people on things that might be good for their lives. So if you follow me on Twitter at Steph Stradley, P-H-S-P-R-A-D-L-E-Y, in my bio I have links to my Texans content and I have links to my personal blog where I talk about non-Texan things. And there's lots of helpful information on both of those sites. And during, during the actual year, I usually do a matchup thing that's pretty in-depth for the upcoming opponent. And that can be helpful when you're figuring out whether you want to um, target particular players maybe on the waiver wire.
3: Excellent, excellent. Yeah, you've been a great follow, and I'm going to be continuing to follow you all throughout the year. Like I said, I learned a lot of stuff from you Outside of football. So I, I stress to everybody to, oh, to, to follow you and to check you out because it's it's great information that you come out with, uh, truly. Steph, thank you so much for calling in. I hope to talk to you again in the future. Anytime. Thank you. And that was Miss Stephanie Stradley of the Houston Chronicle. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. I mean, we talked about the Giants, we talked about the Dolphins, we were able to get Alan Stark to talk about the Falcons, and we were able to get the lovely Stephanie Stradley in to talk about the Texans and we had a lot of information come out and I know early on the show, we talked about, you know, where some of my projections and rankings are going to be for some of these guys That will be published soon, I promise. I know every week I say one more week, one more week, but we had to put some finishing touches on, of course, last week you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, Cam Newton coming on kind of changed a lot of things across you know standard half-point and full-point PPR league, so we're putting final touches on that. I hope it's one more week. I hope it's just one more week that we have, uh, it'll be published on the BellyUpFantasySports.com website, but go, make sure you go ahead and check that out for the Belly Up Fantasy Live show, for the episodes from this show, from all the insightful articles that are coming out, uh, and even for baseball as that's getting ready to kick off. We have some baseball content uh, coming to you guys. We want to try to help you win all of your fantasy sports leagues. Uh, We're in it for it all. So, Make sure you go ahead and check that out. Make sure you're listening to this show on your favorite podcast app, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, for you guys. Make sure you're watching us on YouTube, on Sportscaster, on Twitter, on Facebook. We're everywhere, and we're going to continue to be everywhere. We're getting close now. We're on, we are halfway through or a little bit more halfway through now on the team profile series. We have... I believe four more episodes to go after this one, and then in August, we're going to be kicking off with my uh, Best 5, Sleeper 5, and Bust 5 series through August. Still debating whether or not we're going to go to two episodes a week in August or not, uh, but it's definitely going to be at least once a week on Fridays with the video stream. We'll see about two a week when we get to that point. I'll make sure you guys all know, but no, we will be here four episodes a week once the season kicks off. And uh, I'm going to keep saying once the season kicks off because I'm going to be keeping under the impression, under the mindset, under the hope that we will have a season uh, when it's time for football to roll around in September and that we will get through it because I need it, you need it, we all we all want to play it and uh, that, that's, what, that's what it's all about. So hopefully we're going to have that entertainment, have that distraction and I'm going to keep a positive attitude about it in the meantime but... Make sure you guys check back next week. We're going to be back with another Team Profile series for you guys and more guests for you guys, keeping you guys prepared. And remember, you can always contact the show on Twitter or on Facebook at Show for both of those. Or you can email the show directly, MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com or Any time of day, you can call or text the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480, and we will get back to you guys. Everyone, have a great day, and we'll see you all again real, real soon.
1: Thank
2: you for listening to Belly of Sports, MD's fantasy football show.